All right, good morning. Um, I bring you greetings from the ice cream capital of the world, but sadly, no ice cream. Um, the, I, I, one of these times, they're going to actually hold me to that and uh, require it as a prerequisite to come. No, I am happy to, uh, to be here. I actually do have some handouts, so maybe Dean and Brooke, if you want to come hand out these. You want to get those to the people? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, while those are coming around, sorry, Dean, I forgot to tell you that this morning. Um, while that's coming around, uh, just a little bit about me. My, uh, I, I go to Lamar's Bible Church uh, in Lamar's, Iowa, and our associate pastor uh, and Peter were, went to seminary together. Uh, so they were roommates, um, and so we, I kind of got connected to Peter through that. Um, so I've been, yeah, I've been, I'm kind of a traveling preacher now, so, uh, which is all right. It's, it's always a blessing to bring God's word. Um, my family uh, is in Lamar's today. My kids have been sick lately, and uh, my wife's a little under, under the weather. So uh, they're staying home and convalescing, and um, they will be uh, listening, I'm sure, and uh, critiquing my, my sermon. My seven-year-old likes to give his opinion. Um, anyway, the, uh, I'm, I'm going to spend some time with you today in Ephesians, uh, but let's, let's, go to the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer first, and then we'll uh, get started here. Father, just thank you for uh, the blessings and the gifts that you give us. And Lord, uh, as it was mentioned earlier this morning, we just lift up all the needs. Uh, that There's so many people in this world, Lord, that are, are lost and, and need you. And I just pray that you will put um, people, events, and things in their life that will draw them close to you. Uh, and that ultimately they will have that relationship with you uh, so that they can spend eternity uh, in heaven. Just uh, thank you for the opportunity to share the word today. Just pray that it's a blessing to those that hear it. Uh, and we just are thankful for this uh, beautiful day you've given us. Ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. Um, my passage today is from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you want to go to Ephesians chapter 6 uh, in your copy of the Word of God, um, the, the, the chapter, the verses right preceding this are all about that uh, relationship between the husband and the wife. So the, it's a controversial passage now, uh, but biblically it really isn't. The, so I, I thought it was appropriate, given that, that there's kind of a section of Ephesians here uh, that deals with relationships. Um, the verses preceding this deal with that husband and wife, um, but this passage really deals with four types of relationships. Um, it's commands for Christian children, it's command for Christian fathers, it's commands for Christian servants, and it's commands uh, for Christian masters. You know, and, and I've, been a lot of, I've been in a lot of relationships uh, throughout my life, and I've had a lot of different roles. I've been a child. Uh, who maybe didn't want to obey his parents all the time, but, which never happened in my house. Um, I'm currently a dad and a husband who's raising uh, two young boys. I've been an employer uh, responsible for helping to run a, a business. Um, I've had people work under me. I've had to make decisions about um, whether to let employees go or keep them. I've been an employee uh, who's worked hard for bosses um, and done um, lots of different jobs. Whatever role we play in these, in each of these relationships has a structure and a, a system to how it works. Um, and regardless of where we're at in these relationships, uh, that role has to be fulfilled with a heart for Christ. So join me uh, in your copy of the Word of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, and we'll be in verses 1 through 9 today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 says this, Children, o obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. All right, the first part of this passage is a command for Christian children. So on your outlines there, um, Christian children must obey because obedience is right. Obedience is right. Let's read verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Just like the husband and wife relationship is one of submission and sacrifice, so is that of children and parents. Um, in fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law prescribed death uh, for children who disobeyed their parents. Uh, Exodus 21.15 says, He who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Exodus 21.17 says, He who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Leviticus Everybody's favorite book, Leviticus. Um, Leviticus 20, verse 9. If there's anyone who, who curses his father or mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother. He, he who has cursed his father or his mother, his blood guiltness is upon him. I don't know what blood guiltness means, but it sounds decently ominous. Um, so clearly, the Lord wants, commands children to obey. Paul lists disobedience of children as one of the many grave sins, and all sins are equal, but uh, clearly Paul in Ephesians here views disobedience as a grave sin. Obedience on the part of the children consists of lots of things, uh, including listening to advice from your parents. Um, many passages of scripture in both the Old and New Testament support that. Um, a good verse to go to is Colossians 3.20. Um, Colossians 3.20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord, which points out that obedience must include everything and is pleasing to the Lord. In, I te I'm a social studies teacher. I teach public school uh, in Lamar's and um, Go Dogs. We have a big tennis match this week. Um, anyway, obedience is an actual duty. So in my social studies classes, I often talk about that as Americans, we have duties and responsibilities. Duties are things like paying taxes, the joyful things that everybody loves, voting. Um, voting isn't a duty, it's a responsibility. Um, but obedience is clearly a duty. Okay? Obedience to parents is part of the divine law, and children need to recognize that some things need to be accepted, even though they don't understand them. Uh, when my children disobey and get disciplined, I'm well aware of the fact that they may not realize for years or even perhaps decades why they're being disciplined, but they have a duty to accept it now. We had to teach our kids not to run in the street after a ball. They don't necessarily always need to know why. They just need to know um, that they need to be do it to do it. Uh, what makes obedience right or just is that it confirms God's holy commandment in the next couple of verses. Now, there's a difference between disobedience and honor, between obedience and honor. As long as children are under the care of their parents, obedience is required. I'm well, in fact, obedience is part of how children honor their parents. But once that child is no longer under the care of their parents, obedience isn't commanded, but honor is. I'm well past the time where I'm under the direct care of my parents. So obedience is not necessarily commanded for me, but honor is. And part of that uh, is obedience. So children must obey their parents because obedience is, because it is right. 
uh, letter B on your sheet there is obedience is commanded and brings blessings. So children should obey because obedience is commanded and brings blessings. At the end of verse 3, Paul writes that children must obey and honor their father and mother so that they can live long on the earth. Now, this verse gets taken out of context a lot. It's not, Paul isn't preaching salvation by works. You're not guaranteed longevity. He's not putting a timeline on your life. But the commanded obedience can bear fruit and lead to the greatest blessing of all, an eternity in heaven. Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land in which the Lord gives you. So Christian children are required um, should obey because obedience is right and obedience is commanded and brings blessings. The second group that Paul addresses directly in this passage is Christian fathers. If you look at verse 4 with me in chapter 6. Um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As is the case in the previous section, uh, Paul begins his address to Christian fathers with things to avoid. It's kind of a list of what not to do here, uh, more than a to-do list. Um, both parents are mentioned in Ephesians, and it's already been established that um, children should honor their father and mother, but fathers are the only ones who receive specific instructions back. So dads, l let me say this at the start, you matter. Um, and moms, you matter too, but fathers are the only ones that have direct instructions back. Paul addresses the responsibility of fathers exclusively, but it does not diminish the contributions of mothers uh, in this area as well. So both parents are important. Um, according, I looked up some, some statistics to kind of add context here. And according to the National Center for Fathering, an estimated 33% or 24.7 million children in America live in a home without a father. 19.8 uh, million children live, live without a... Um, I'm sorry, 19.8 million children are in poverty. Individuals from father-absent homes are 279% more likely to deal drugs than their peers who have fathers at home. The point of this is to show that dads do matter. We live in a culture where fathers are often not valued in the way they should be. So many other things are blamed uh, for the problems in society, but a lot of them can be traced back to the lack of fathers in the home. And God gives fathers the authority to lead their family so it's no accident that Paul lists commands for Christian fathers in Ephesians. According to Paul, Christian fathers need to do several things, um, three things to be exact. First, they need to not provoke their children to anger. Obedient children are particularly vulnerable, so a domineering and thoughtless father's actions would be discouraging to them. Go with me real quick uh, in your copy of the Word of God to Colossians 3.21. So if you're in the Bible, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians... Colossians. Colossians 3.21. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And in Colossians chapter 3.21, the word of God says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So there is a command to, not, to uh, not provoke your children so that they don't become discouraged. Fathers, do not. Paul calls on fathers to not provoke their children to anger. In the earlier passages, Paul had expressed his concern about anger among God's people. Go back to Ephesians 4, uh, 26 through 27. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. 
Paul urged his readers to deal with anger promptly because if anger is prolonged, Satan can use it for his own needs and a strain can develop within the Christian community. Now in this passage, fathers are urged to avoid attitudes, words, and actions which would provoke their children to anger. The idea here is that children's feelings should matter. Uh, and that was a revolutionary idea in a society where the father's authority was absolute. Christian fathers must not provoke them to anger. Secondly, Christian fathers must discipline them. Discipline can be a difficult thing. Uh, if we're honest about it, truthfully, sometimes fathers have a tendency to um, push off the discipline onto mom. Happens at my house. I'm a teacher, a coach. Um, you know, I, I've, I'm in tennis season right now, so I'm living out of my car, and um, my kids are like, hey, who's that guy? Um, so, because I'm just not home. And so what happens is my wife ends up having to do some of that. Um, but I think in the traditional view of marriage brought on by our culture, it's common for the mom to do the raising of the kids, but the Bible is clear. The Bible commands fathers to discipline. And we could have an, an entire message on forms of Christian discipline, but I think it's worth our time to examine um, a commentator that I like named P.T. O'Brien. And he's kind of an old-timey commentator. Uh, you can't really get his stuff anymore. Um, his commentaries are really hard to find, but they're, they're really good. So if you ever run across a uh, P.T. O'Brien article, commentary. He's a good one to take a look at. And he writes this about um, this passage in Ephesians. Uh, he says, Paul rules out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abusive authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting the child to humiliation and all forms of insensitivities to a child's needs and sensibilities. In short, the father is commanded to discipline. He's the head of the house, and under the, the authority of Christ, children should obey their father. But the father's authority is curbed, and it's a clear recognition that children who should obey the Lord are persons in their own right who are not to be manipulated, exploited, or crushed. In the second relationship, Christian fathers are commanded, must not provoke their children to anger. They must discipline them, and they must instruct and encourage their children, which is letter C on your outlines. Paul tells fathers they must bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children are a heritage from the Lord, and they should be reared for him. The verb bring up in the Greek is ectrophy. has to do in the first place with bodily nourishment, which we see in Ephesians 5, 29. You can look that up. And then with education. Earlier in Ephesians 4, uh, 20 through 21, the passage talked about learning Christ. And I struggled with this when I was studying this passage because I don't know how you learn a person, right? You learn a subject, you learn math, you learn science, you learn something, but you, learning a person is tough. I think um, learning Christ and being instructed in the truth should not only occur within the Christian community, but also within the family, coming from fathers whose lives are being shaped by Christ, a Christ-centered tradition. In contrast to the norms of his day, Paul wants Christian fathers to be gentle, patient educators of their children. Ultimately, the concern of parents is not simply that their sons and daughters will be obedient to their authority, but that through this godly training, their children will come to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The third relationship group uh, that Paul writes about in Ephesians is masters and then he writes about servants. Let's look at verses 5 through 8 in Ephesians 6. Um, bond servants 
Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. This passage uh, is difficult to understand in today's world because we don't really have slaves and masters. In fact, there's most of the countries in the world now where um, having the idea of someone being a slave is thought of, an, of, is thought of as an abomination and a, violate, and a pretty big violation of uh, human rights and dignity. So I think it's more important to, since we don't have masters and servants, to apply it to employees and employers. So we're going to apply this to employees and employers. From the passage, Paul has two sets of commands for servants, and he has two sets of commands for masters. Um, Paul commands servants to obey with a sincerity of heart because they really are serving Christ. Paul admonishes servants or employees in our, our context uh, with several good reasons, to be obedient uh, for several good reasons. First, they really were serving Christ. Now, granted, they all had earthly masters, and we all have an earthly master. We all have earthly employees, employers who employ us, but the true master is in heaven. The fact that an employee and an employer are both Christians is no excuse for either one to do less work, but it's a good reason to be more faithful to each other. The employee should show proper respect to his employer and should, not to, and should not try to take advantage of him. He should devote his full attention and energy to the job at hand and have a singleness of heart for, the job that is the common for that job that he's doing. The best way to be a witness is, a good day's, is to do a good day's work. The Christian worker should avoid eye service, only working when the boss is watching or working extra hard when he is watching to give the, the impression that he is doing a good job. Ch Christian servants should obey with sincerity of heart because they really are serving Christ and because doing a good job is the will of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christianity knows nothing of sacred and secular. It doesn't separate it out. A Christian can form any good work as a ministry to Christ for the glory of God. And I struggle with this. As a teacher, a public school is a mission field. And if you think it isn't, you see a lot every day that would change your mind. Um, you know, and sometimes I think, man, am I doing enough? Because I'm, I'm not in a hut in the middle of somewhere, in the middle of the jungle with bullets whizzing by my head telling people about Jesus. But the Bible was clear. A Christian can do any good work as a ministry to Christ for the glory of God. For this reason, the worker must do his job from the heart since he is serving Christ and doing the will of God. There were tasks assigned to these slaves uh, back in the day that they detested, but they were to perform them just the same so long as they are not disobeying the will of God. We've seen this over the last several years as the pandemic broke out across the country and churches were closed. Uh, even John MacArthur, the great theologian, the great preacher John MacArthur, closed his church in California for a time uh, because they were prohibited from meeting in person during the outbreak of COVID-19. Now, MacArthur, trying to obey the government of the state of California and the national guidelines that were out there, lamented at first, but eventually he realized 
that the action was in contrast with the will of God who commands us together. So he felt that regardless of the circumstances and the consequences, he needed to meet in person. So yes, Christian servants or employees should show proper respect and submit to authority, but not when that authority asks them to do something that is against the will of God. It will be natural for a Christian servant to despise their earthly master in the name of the heavenly one. However, fulfilling the earthly obligations, fulfilling your earthly obligations at work, is in fact serving the heavenly father. Christian servants should obey with sincerity of heart because they really are serving Christ, because doing a good job is the will of God, and because they will be rewarded in the Lord. Paul's third argument for why Christians should obey with sincerity of heart is that they will be rewarded in the Lord. And in, that day, in Paul's day, slaves were treated like pieces of property no matter how well educated that they were. An educated, cultured slave who became a Christian might receive harsher treatment from his master because of their faith, but harsh treatment should not prevent them from doing their best. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 says this, Servants, be submissive to our masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for, for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. We are to serve Christ, not men, and our rewards come from the Lord and not for men. I have a plaque on my desk at school that says my reward isn't here, it's in heaven. As a teacher, I often don't get to see the benefits of my teaching for months or years. I, I have a student in particular that I think of that, you know, it took until, he's, I had him six or seven years ago, and it took that long for, it to fig, for him to figure out some of those lessons and those life skills that we were teaching. Um, and sometimes that gets frustrating because I want to see the benefit right away. We're all extrinsically motivated, and we like the, the benefit right away. But it's important for me to remember that God put me in this position for a reason. I need to do my best and honor him. And my reward comes, yes, from the lives that I impact here, for sure. And I love that it does. But ultimately, my reward is in heaven. And all of our rewards are in heaven. The fourth group that Paul writes about in this passage is masters. And again, we're applying this to employers. Okay, So let's look at verse 9 in chapter 6. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with them. Paul has three commands for masters in this passage of Ephesians. First, masters must care about the welfare of their servants. Paul starts with the phrase, do the same to them. And this isn't Paul like suggesting. This is Paul being pretty succinct and clear. Do the same to them. If the employer expects the workers to do their best for him or her, he must do his or her best for them. The master must serve the Lord from his heart if he expects servants to do the same, and he must not exploit them. I thought that one great example of this was in the book of Ruth, as I was preparing for my passage today. And um, Ruth has a, a lot of great stories in it, and it gets sort of passed over sometimes. Um, but in the book of Ruth, Boaz uh, 
uh, greeted his employees with, greeted his workers with, the Lord be with you. And they replied, the Lord bless thee. Boaz was sensitive to the, to the needs of his workers and generous to the stranger, Ruth. His relationship with the workers was one of mutual respect and a desire to glorify God. When I see employers who claim to be Christians but don't act like it, or I hear, my boss is supposed to be a Christian, but you'd never know it. That's troubling and sad because our lives need to bear fruit. So here's a command, here's a, here's a challenge for you. If you're a boss today, if you're listening today and you're a you're on the master side, you're the employer, what would your workers say? I think back to the time that I was an employer. What did my workers say? Paul commands Christian masters to care about the welfare of their servants, and second, he commands them to not threaten. Roman masters, back in Paul's day, had the power and lawful authority to kill a slave um, who was rebellious, though a few of them did so because slaves honestly cost too much money, and to simply just destroy them would be not very good business. Paul suggested that the Christian master has a better way to encourage obedience and service than threats of punishment. Now, fear isn't always bad, um, but the negative power of fear could result in the worker doing less instead of more. And this kind of motivation could not be continued over a long period of time. What is better than threatening is the positive motivation of what Paul says in Colossians 4.1 is of that which is just and equal. If you let someone share the results of their labor, he will work better and harder. Even the Old Testament gives the same advice. Thou shalt, thou shalt not rule him with, over him with rigor, but, they, but shall fear thy God. In Leviticus 25.43. The commands of Christian masters are that they must care about the welfare of their servants, they must not threaten and finally, they must not view themselves as more valuable than the servants. Our world is obsessed with status. So many people spend time focusing on how much they make, what rank they have in an organization, what status symbols they own, what car they drive, what phone they have, how big of a house they have. Folks, God is no respecter of position or rank. He doesn't care. He will judge the master or the servant if he sins, or he will reward a master or servant if he obeys. doesn't matter. A Christian employer does not have any more favor with God because of his position, nor should a Christian employer play favorites with those under his authority. Paul even warned his good friend Timothy to observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality in 1 Timothy 5.21. One of the fastest ways for a leader to divide his followers and lose their confidence is for the leader to play favorites or show partiality. All of these relationships have a central focus, submission. The wife submits to her own husband as unto the Lord. The husband loves the wife as Christ loved the church, and children obey their parents in the Lord, and parents raise their children in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Servants are to obey their masters as they would Christ, and masters should treat their servants as their master in heaven would have them do. Each person, in submission to the Lord, has no problem submitting to those over him. And so many of the great men in the Bible were first servants who submitted and sacrificed before God made them rulers. Joseph, Moses, David, 
David was like the servant of all servants before God made him a ruler. Nehemiah, and those are just a few examples. Friend of mine, right out of college, uh, I went to Buena Vista University uh, in Storm Lake, Iowa. Uh, go Beavers. It's really the only college in Iowa, so I don't know why you'd go anywhere else. Um, just kidding. The, uh, a friend of mine right out of college got a big job with a big company in executive leadership. The guy had everything. He had fancy cars, big house, good family. But he let his duty as CEO go to his head. He enjoyed all of his executive privileges and more, and it was clear who was in charge of his company. And he never lost an opportunity to remind his employees who was in charge, but he lost the respect of his workers. And production and efficiency went down so fast that the board of directors replaced him inside of a year. My friend forgot that he had a master in heaven. Relationships are challenging. They just are. It doesn't matter what relationship it is. And whether you have a role right now as a child, a father, a servant, or a master, all of those are important. They matter. And you should fulfill those roles to the best of your ability with a heart for Christ. I have two boys. Lincoln is seven, and Stephen is five and a half. And Stephen is the perfect, the classic second child. Um, if you want to know anything about Stephen, I always tell people he, he has two speeds, 30,000 miles an hour and sleep. That's it. Nothing in between. He was disobeying yesterday. Uh, and as his father, I had to discipline him. But I had to realize that in this process, my goal was to not only get him to obey, but to point him towards Christ. Brothers and sisters, ultimately, I think that's Paul's message here. No matter what relationship you're a part of, children, fathers, servants, employees, employers, masters, we need to remember what the ultimate goal is. The ultimate goal should be to walk in harmony with Christ and to lead others toward the most important relationship, a relationship with the risen, resurrected Savior. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for uh, the blessings and the gifts that you give us. We just are thankful for the roles that you've put us in. And I just pray that each one here will go out this week and fulfill their role to the best of your ability and that they will serve you and, use, and that you will use them in a mighty way. Thank you for the blessings that you give to me and for the opportunity to share with this church. Uh, just bless them in their ministry and uh, help us to seek you in all we do. I ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate you.